open your Bibles to Second Chronicles and chapter 5, if you will, please. So, <clears throat> I guess for a title, uh, we'll just simply talk about unity. Um, <clears throat> in the Psalm 133, it says, How good and how pleasant it is when people dwell together in unity. And uh, I want to just uh, start off by taking you to this story here. There's just so many things that you can uh, quote out of the Bible uh, to uh, a particular theme. But <clears throat> this is picking up the story when the temple was built in Jerusalem. Now, prior to the temple being built, the children of Israel had a tabernacle in the wilderness, and they had it for quite a long time. And we might start reading in uh, verse 1. In verse 1 we read, <coughs> I did say Second Chronicles 5, didn't I? Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought all of the things that David his father had dedicated, and the silver and the gold and the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. And then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel under Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. So <clears throat> the centerpiece of the uh, worship in the tabernacle was uh, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, that's where the presence of God was manifested. There was other uh, articles in it as well, but we won't go into a lot of details there. And so <clears throat> this was to be in the pride of place in this, uh, in this new temple that had just been built. And uh, so <clears throat> we'll pick it up a little bit later on. Um, in verse 11, we read, And it came to pass when the priests were come out uh, of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course, and all the also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests, sounding with trumpets. And it came to pass, as the trumpeters and the singers were as one, to make one sound be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good for his mercy and Jews forever. But then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord. In other words, the Holy Spirit came into this building. And so the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. And I'm just wanting to make the point <coughs> that... At the same time, there was all the other detail that had to go in, and there had been years of them getting the uh, the, 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 the temple all ready uh, to, to bring all of these things in. But when the final moment came, it was important that the right ceremony was uh, presented. And uh, the issue that I'm wanting to make here is that we had the singers and the musicians all operating from the same song sheet. And uh, this was uh, this was very very important, and it, it must have been really quite uh, magnificent what was going on there. There would have been uh, uh, quite a lot. There seems to be some fairly noisy instruments amongst all of this, but the, the thing is, they were they were all singing to the same tune, and it was this unity. They had to be as one. Uh, 
And it's rather interesting that there's a, a lot of examples here as to when the Holy Spirit came in to the lives of the disciples on the day of Pentecost after Jesus rose again from the dead. And I, I want to take you uh, to that now, to the book of Acts. And I think most of you know where the book of Acts is. And uh, <clears throat> if you haven't been coming along, you'll soon find out where the book of Acts is because that's the book that tells us all about the, 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 the first church and that's the example that we attempt to follow all the time, to be a Book of Acts church where the uh, Holy Spirit is manifested, the signs, wonders and miracles, we preach about the resurrection, we preach about a living Christ and so on. Anyway, we read that when it happened, Jesus had risen from the dead, he rose to heaven and uh, the disciples were all gathered and we read in chapter 1 there was about 120 of them, just as there had been 120 of the priests back when the Holy Spirit came into the temple. Here we've got 120 disciples, and we read also in verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all in unity, and they were all there together, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared under them cloven tongues like as a fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, most of us have read that many times before. But the unity was incredibly important. And so they were all together there. Peter preached to the crowd. Uh, they suddenly realized what a terrible mistake they'd made. That's the crowd that they'd called for the, the death of Jesus, but God had raised him from the dead. And uh, so uh, down in verse 36, uh, Peter went on to say, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus that you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you and to your children, to as many as the Lord, uh, to your children as far off, to all that are far off, and as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward or this wicked generation. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day we had three baptisms yesterday, they had 3,000. So uh, <clears throat> I think they were sort of in a better position to brag a bit. Anyway, but uh, anyway, it's not us, it's the Lord. Whether it's three or 3,000, or whether it's one, it's, uh, it's a victory for the Lord. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And uh, we go on to read, uh, maybe we'll just pick it up in verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Though they were not only in, in one accord on the day they received the Holy Spirit, but they continued following the teaching of the apostles the salvation message, repent, be baptized, receive the Spirit. And they continued on <clears throat> into the temple, spreading the good news and breaking bread from house to house, 
did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. In the, it wasn't just in their presence of being together, it wasn't just that, uh, that they were saying the same thing. In their hearts, they, they really believed and they pulled together, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such as, uh, such as should be saved. And that's the way it works. If the, the church is pulling together, the Lord blesses it. If people are fighting and squabbling amongst themselves, well, the Lord uh, walks away and says, when you get your act together, I'll, I'll help you a bit more. You've got to start doing it the right way. Anyway, so <clears throat> that's what happened there. Now, um, I just thought I'd mention that, uh, <clears throat> that at Pentecost was the day when God began moving his temple, the place where he lived, from a building into the lives of people, and he's been doing that for the last 2,000 years. And so most of us here who have received the Holy Spirit and know we have because we speak in tongues, we are temples of the Holy Ghost, but it behoves us to be of one accord and to make sure that we are a good testimony individually and collectively as a group. I want to take you back to one of the well-known parables in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. (coughs) Luke chapter 15. And uh, this is another parable that Jesus told, and many of the parables he told, they could have been actual uh, people. They could just understand this or things like this happen. And he said in verse 11, a certain man had two sons. Well, lots of people have two sons, don't they, Peter? Okay. And um, and, uh, and the younger of them said to his father, this is not likely to happen just yet, uh, Father, give me the proportion of goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him him into his field to feed swine. He was out there in the pigsty. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat that no man gave unto him. That's, that's getting pretty low, isn't it, when you find yourself uh, jumping in. Pretty dangerous, actually, to, to jump in when there's a lot of hungry pigs there uh, because they haven't been known to eat people. And um, so he jumped in there and grabbed a bit of sweet corn before they got hold of it and so on. Um, and, uh, and no man gave, nobody took any pit on him. <coughs> And it says, but when he came to himself, one day he woke up, I've been a complete idiot here. And so he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I used to have all the privileges of being a son in this household, and I I squandered everything that I got, and now people who just work there, well, they've they've got everything laid on for them. And, and here I am. So he just had a, um, a revelation, you might say, of how stupid he'd been. But he said, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now, this <coughs> is uh, given to us a, a very 
clear example of uh, how that we should be towards God. We, I think this has got a double application, this particular one. It refers to people who are coming to the Lord, who have wasted all of their life, and suddenly they realise, well, I'm getting nowhere in life. I'll, uh, I, I maybe I've always despised God and so on, but maybe I should repent of the way that I've been living. And it certainly applies to them. And it also applies to people who have fallen away from the Lord. And, uh, and we praise the Lord. We've seen a little bit of that happen over the years. We've baptized many people here. Many received the Holy Spirit. But a few are starting to find their way back. And uh, when they come in true humility and repent of having turned their back on the blessing of the Lord and the wonderful fellowship they used to enjoy, and uh, they come back, well, God is there waiting to receive them back. And we go on to see here, um, <clears throat> and he arose, this is uh, the son, and came to his father. And when they was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Oh, hallelujah. If it wasn't for God's compassion, uh, we wouldn't be here. And so his father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring in his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. <clears throat> and so they, um, they put on this incredible homecoming for him. <clears throat> he must have been quite a sight. He was probably his, his uh, clothes would have been in rags. He was probably in need of uh, um, disinfecting as well as... Uh, having a bath and all this sort of thing and his dad was just so thrilled that he had come home and he, he just uh, immediately forgave him because he had the right attitude. His son didn't come back knocking on the door and say, Dad, well, you know, do you really reckon that you gave me a fair share of that inheritance and uh, my brother's still got plenty of things, so <clears throat> how about I, I get another go at this? No, that wasn't the attitude. And true repentance... You come back. You don't come back making demands of God. You uh, you just come back in humility if you truly repent and get the, the the message. Anyway, so they had this incredible party. But I want to take you to the the next verse. Now the eldest son, remember, he had an older brother who was uh, still home there, was in the field. And as he came uh, and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And uh, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him and uh, and pleaded with him. He said, Look, you know, you, you're my son. You're still my son and you've got everything here. But look, you know, can't you see that the, the right attitude is to have what I have towards my son, is your brother. You, you need to forgive him and to embrace him. But I think the older brother was just thinking, now I've got all of the inheritance here now, and this guy's coming back, he's wasted his life and so on. 
But um, anyway, his father entreated him and so on. But the, the picture I get here, and I, I want to talk a little bit about what they were doing there. When it says he heard music, now I had a little bit of a revelation as I uh, hunted through the concordance, and the word music is actually symphonia, from which we get symphony. Now, this was no um, you know, Jimmy Barnes concert that was going on here. This was a symphony orchestra. And the thing about a symphony is it means, it means one. It's one sound. It's in absolute unison. Now, I've never been to a, 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 a symphony con concert, and I certainly haven't been to a Jimmy Barnes concert. You couldn't imagine me. You know, imagine after all the years of me chastising young people for going to these sort of things. Uh, anyway, big bum. Let my hair down. I did. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. So there we go. So, but this was a symphony orchestra that was playing here. And the thing about the, the symphony orchestra, I have watched it on telly a few times, and the thing about it is they have a conductor, and he gets out there and waves his hands around with all sorts of things. The musicians understand what those signals mean, uh, but ignorant people like me don't. Um, but the result of that is that it is in total unison. It is beautiful music, whether you like classical stuff or not. Well, um, we've got a visitor here from Pastor Jock and, and uh, his wife, Helen. But I just was thinking about Pastor Jock's family, his parents. Now, they were wonderful members, uh, original members of our assembly. They just up the road here. And, um, and Jock's dad used to like classical music. Uh, the trouble was, I understand from people who actually stayed there that he would wake up, as I do now, later in life in the middle of the night and can't think of what to do. But he used to turn on the radio and listen to classical music. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Okay. It's good to have him agreeing with me occasionally. So, uh, and so that was sort of um, a, a bit of a fright to the guest that was there. But the trouble is, that wasn't the end of it all because uh, also Jock's mum didn't sleep all that well, but she decided to do the vacuuming in the middle of the night. So, and that wasn't a symphony orchestra. So, uh, anyway, praise the Lord. So, but yeah, it's got nothing to do with the, with the, uh, the message here. But the point being that the music that God puts on when a sinner comes home, I mean, we were all rejoicing yesterday as we saw people being baptised and filled with the Spirit. There's rejoicing in heaven. There is music in heaven. The, 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 the symphony orchestra is out and the angels are singing and they're praising God because another sinner's come home. And uh, there is unity, there's rejoicing amongst the saints here on earth as well. So um, that's uh, to me, is, a, is a, a great illustration of uh, how God sees it. And the music that is played is, uh, is really, uh, you know, giving vent to, to what the real mood is. Let's go to uh, the book of Ephesians now, Ephesians and chapter 4. <coughs> 
and it tells us, there's one, Paul writes here, and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I'm pleading with you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And he'd started off in the book of Ephesians uh, telling them how that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And uh, he said, now, you're in this wonderful relationship with God. Live your life as somebody who appreciates what they've been given and be a good testimony to, to live worthy of your calling. Live worthy of being a child of God. Live worthy of uh, having... Been, uh, become his ambassadors to spread the word of God. And he tells us the sort of attitude that we ought to have with all lowliness and meekness. In other words, we need to be humble, not full of our own importance, as we, uh, we read in Titus, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And so we need to accept that gratefully. With long suffering, Jeff Cafon used to say, with long suffering. Yeah. Forbearing one another. Forbearing literally means to put up with one another in love. And so we don't sort of put up with one another because we're sort of forced into it like little brothers and sisters having a fight and you say, you say you're sorry to your little brother or your little sister and so, oh, sorry. You know, but no, no, say you're really sorry. Well, they're not really sorry, so they can't say it very convincingly. But uh, but we're, we're not supposed to be spoiled brats. We're supposed to be grown-up people who are uh, really uh, looking to understand each other, to uh, appreciate that we've got our faults and others have got theirs as well. And so we forbear one another in love. We recognise that... We might sort of like somebody all that much, but we've got to understand that God loves them. And if we, if we work at it, we'll find out there's good points about them, which uh, um, they might be similarly praying that God will reveal to them some good points that you've got, which they hadn't acknowledged before. So anyway, we forbear in one another in love. But then it goes on to say, endeavouring, making an effort to keep which means to actually guard, to protect the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, for there is one body and one spirit and one hope of the calling and so on. So God has given us this unity, as we read, day of Pentecost. We all had our day of Pentecost when we received the Holy Spirit and there was great rejoicing. Uh, I know the night that, that I received the Spirit all those years ago, the other people that were there were rejoicing because... Uh, um, another sinner had come home and uh, well there was actually another brother right next to me who received the spirit after I did and he said he would have received earlier but I was making too much noise but anyway uh, the, the, the people there they were just so thrilled you know congratulating us welcome hallelujah and uh, so praise the Lord we've, uh, we've got this unity that the Lord has brought us together and it's the unity of the spirit the Holy Spirit binds us together and uh, we've got to guard that. We have a responsibility there uh, to do that. Down in verse 11 he tells us um, that, <clears throat> that God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. In other words, God has given to the church 
uh, people who have, they have uh, ministries that are developed in their lives as they, um, as they grow in the Lord and uh, they emerge as uh, like an apostle, as somebody who goes out, maybe leads the charge and uh, goes out and starts uh, an assembly or a group of them and so on. Prophets, they're not just people who operate the gift on a Sunday, they're people who may be ministering the word of God and uh, they are inspired speech, uh, speakers. Who, um, and then we read uh, also of evangelists. They're people who, uh, well, it might be from the platform, it may be a personal one, like our brother Mark Clyde, who's uh, always on the job talking to people and so on. And, um, and some pastors, shepherds, and also teachers. And so those people uh, are called of the Lord and uh, they're there, and, and, and a lot of people, I was talking to a brother the other day, and um, an older brother, he's pretty old, he's nearly as old as me, and, uh, well, he's not as fit as me as it turns out, but he was saying in the, in the early days, I think he was a house leader, and Pastor Rex said to him, would you like to take on a bit more responsibility, you know, have the, become a area leader or something like this, you see, and so he said, I listed off to Pastor Rex, he said, well, I go out twice a week with another brother on follow-ups, I go to the house meeting, I help with all the working bees, so I sort of uh, do this and that on Sunday at the meeting and so on. Then I, I think I've got enough to do already. And Pastor Rex says, God bless you, brother. That's, uh, that's good. So he wasn't looking for any accolades. He didn't say, oh, yeah, I always wanted to be able to sit up on the platform and uh, have people, uh, uh, you know, saying how wonderful you are. The trouble with sitting on the platform, you've got to stay awake, you know, and uh, that's why I usually uh, sit down there when I'm not talking, you see, and, uh, and look around to see who else is dozing off, you see. Anyway, so... Praise the Lord. So the Lord has, has, has given all of these people. And what are we here for? For the perfecting of the saints. We're to help people to grow in the Lord. And to be able to do that, we've got to grow ourselves. And, you know, you're never too old to learn. And, uh, and of course, that's why I've had to live so long, because I'm such a slow learner that, uh, that I'm still learning. Praise the Lord. It says, for the, uh, the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for building up the saints in the Lord, who are united by the Spirit. And it says, to build up until we all come in the unity of the faith. So it's not just the Spirit that unites us, it's our faith. We've got to uh, be strong in our faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, God is looking in a sense, we're perfected because of what's happened to us inside, but outwardly, we've still got a lot of improving to do. Uh, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we, 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 haven't, we haven't arrived at the place where we're as good as Jesus, far from it. So in other words, we've got to keep on improving that we henceforth be no more children or babes in Christ, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And so that's what the oversight are there to, to help us to grow in the Lord and to beware of the people who are trying to undermine our faith 
and to drag us away, to lead us into compromise and uh, all sorts of other things and so on. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working, the measure of every part marks increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. And so we are here to edify each other, but our conductor of this symphony orchestra that we're a part of is Jesus Christ himself, and he is waving his hands around whatever, or his voice is telling us what part we have to play. And as, as you know, in an orchestra there is a, a huge range of instruments that are there, and, uh, and the conductor points at uh, one particular group and they know that it's their turn to play their few notes or whatever it is, and so that's what it is with Jesus Christ. We have to be tuned in and, and be praying constantly, Lord, help me to, to contribute, contribute. If I'm playing a particular instrument, as it were, under the Lord, Lord, help me to play it better. Help me... Uh, to maybe even develop the skills a bit more so that if you want me to play another instrument, well, uh, help me to do that. But I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And uh, if you want me to do more, or maybe less, because I've been trying to pick up the trumpet because that makes a lot of noise. And I said, no, no, no. You make enough noise without a trumpet, so um, we'll get you to do something else. And uh, anyway, praise the Lord. Okay. So... <clears throat> Now I want to take you back to the book of Proverbs. Actually, I have to look at that clock over there. I usually don't bother, but my watch's battery has gone flat, so if I went by that, so I left it home so I didn't keep looking at it and say, I've still got, oh, I've still got another hour to go. And, and yeah, anyway, so I left it home. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6. And, um, yeah. Sadly, we have to talk about warnings, about the Lord has given us this wonderful unity, but there are things and people who would undermine that and try to drive a wedge between us and all that sort of thing. Proverbs chapter 6, and there's some fantastic Proverbs that we, we could read, many, many of them, but we're just going to pick out a few here. Proverbs 6 and verse 16 we read, um, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, even seven are an abomination unto him. And I sort of wondered why he put it that way, or there were six things there. But it's almost as if he says, well, this is six things, but I really want to emphasize the seventh one. And maybe it wasn't that way, just but we take them all. A proud look. So that's something. God doesn't like it if... if uh, if we, not, not as if we sort of get around and we can sort of say, well, that one's got a proud look on his face and so on. But it's, it's the way that we look at other people. Uh, I think if I um, made a, um, yeah, uh, in another translation there it says, to overestimate yourself and underestimate others, looking down on other people and so on. So when you look at it, there's a few things here. There is our eyes, there's our tongue, there's our hands, there's our feet, there's our heart, and uh, all of these different parts of our, our body. 
And, uh, and so we, we need to realise that he's saying here, you're not to have a proud look, look down on another. A lying tongue, well, we know what that is. And James chapter 3 tells us a lot about the tongue as it's a, it's a deadly poison. It, um, it, it can set fire. It's been set on fire by hell when it, when it's, it, it runs loose. And there's some horrible things that people, that come out of people's mouths. And uh, many of us, before we came to the Lord, were pretty vile tongues. Uh, but by the grace of God, as we go on in the Lord, the Lord uh, tames us. He actually um, re-educates us. He helps us to find ways that, to not uh, have those outbursts that we might have had before because um, we're, we're, being, uh, we're growing in the Lord. Anyway, so we've got a, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. So we can, we can sin with our eyes, we can, uh, uh, we can sin with our tongue, we can sin with our hands. And uh, here it is, that uh, uh, shedding innocent blood. Well, uh, I don't think we've got anybody that's murdered anybody lately, but um, uh, if you're a murderer, we'll stop doing it. And, uh, but anyway, it says that people, and maybe we're not actually literally killing somebody, but maybe by what we're doing, we're actually bringing harm to somebody else. And uh, the Lord doesn't want us to do that. Um, a heart, oh, that's a big important one, isn't it? It's the attitude of our heart that devises wicked imaginations. In our hearts, we're scheming something. Well, maybe to harm some other person, maybe even a brother or sister in the Lord, maybe somebody you're married to or a member of your family. The Lord hates that. And, uh, and feet that are swift running to mischief. And your feet is what you use to get around um, if you don't go everybody by car. And uh, so, but they're swift to, oh, if there's some mischief, I want to be in that. And uh, so um, the Lord the Lord doesn't like that. And a false witness that speaketh lies. Somebody, here again, we're getting back to the tongue, where we, we really got it in for somebody, and we're going to make sure that we find a way of catching them out. So we're spying around the corner waiting for them to make a mistake so we can put it on Facebook. And the last one, and he that sows discord among brethren. And uh, I was thinking about that, about discord. It's actually translated, uh, the same word in the Hebrew of the Old Testament is trans translated as strife. And there's a number of places in the, in the Psalms where it talks about, about strife. And, um, and there are things that, things that happen. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking um, of another verse in the book of Ecclesiastes it talks about flies in the ointment. Have you heard that particular saying? Well, it's, it's in the Bible, and uh, it says, in the Amplified, it says, uh, dead flies cause the ointment of the perfumer to putrefy. In the, in the authorized, it says, to stink. Anyway, so that's what putrefying means, if you didn't know. Um, and send forth a vile odour. And so does a little folly in him that is valued for wisdom outweigh wisdom and honour. So if you've got a reputation of being a decent sort of person, uh, but you uh, uh, you <coughs> allow uh, yourself to be stupid, 
and, uh, and do some things which are a bad testimony, it sort of wrecks your testimony and so on. So uh, there's all sorts of things that, that can happen to us that are going to wreck our contribution to the unity of the fellowship. And, uh, and if there's enough of us that are doing enough things that are, are wrong, it could even destroy the fellowship. Churches have been wrecked from the inside out like great empires. They usually unfold from the inside. And so we've got a, a contribution. Each and every one of us has got a contribution to make to guarding the integrity of the unity of the fellowship. In Proverbs, I've written some of these things down because I'm going to be trying to turn them all up. In Proverbs 17 and verse 9 in the Amplified, uh, it says, He who covers and forgives an offence seeks love, but he who repeats or harps on a matter separates even close friends. In other words, what we say and what we send out on social media and all these sort of things, you might think I'm against uh, uh, social media. Well, I definitely haven't gone on Facebook because of my face. But anyway, so, uh, oh well, you're supposed to laugh at that. Anyway, you're feeling sorry for me. But I'm used to it, so every time I have a shave, I have a look at it. Um, but anyway, but if people harp on about things that something happened to them in the past, but they won't let it go, like the older brother that we read about there before, this brat of a brother. I mean, little brothers are brats, according to older brothers, and I was the little brother, and um, it was probably right. Anyway, so um, but if they harp on about it, well, uh, it's just... It's not forgiving. Proverbs 17 verse 14 in the Amplified says, The beginning of strife is when water first trickles from a crack in the dam, therefore stop contention before it becomes worse and quarrelling breaks out. There's that, that little uh, story about the little Dutch boy, and his name was Peter or something, I've been Peter Bissett when he was young, and the, 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 the dike had a, was, uh, started to leak and he put his finger in there, I think the story goes. Well, <clears throat> with things, if they're starting to leak, I think they're starting to leak up there today, was it? Yeah, we'll have to get that fixed, won't we? Okay, so um, if, you, if, if it starts to leak and uh, you, know, you can have a great reservoir and it, it, it breaches, it starts to go, it's, you've got to get it fixed before the whole thing comes down and maybe lots of people lose their lives and so on. And uh, so that talks about uh, people um, who are uh, being contentious, just argumentative, strife, discord and all this sort of thing. Well, stop it before uh, you wreck the whole show. Okay. So these are just warnings. I'm not accusing anybody of doing this, but we've got to be aware that probably some of us are doing some of these things wrong in some degree or other. In chapter 16 of Proverbs, verse 28, it says, A froward man, which is one who is disposed to do the opposite. Uh, when I read this, I thought about politics, and I thought about the, the opposition and it seems that their, their job is to disagree with everything that the government says. And then a few years later, 
they become the government, and then the, 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 the previous government of the opposition, so they, they feel dis, disposed to disagree with everything that's put up. Well, not everything, but it seems most of the time. And so, so a man, a froward man, uh, is, is uh, sends forth strife, and a talebearer, that's a gossip, uh, separates chief friends. Now, gossip can be very dangerous, and I think we've got to be a bit careful. Again, with social media, there are things that come out at times where people have jumped to a conclusion and they think, oh, well, I didn't really mean any harm, I was just passing on what I was told. But, you know, some people say, oh, well, look, a, a, a secret is safe with me because the people I tell won't tell anybody. You can work that out. And uh, so, <clears throat> but it can actually destroy friendships. And quite often, it's a part truth or it's even a lie. And so we've got to be careful. Remember one pastor saying once, there's gossipers and there's gossipees. Now, the gossiper is the one, oh, guess what? I've heard this and so on. The gossip, the gossip, the gossipee says, ooh, you know, that's a juicy bit of gossip. You got any more? Well, we've got to stop it. If somebody comes, oh, look, you know, I don't know whether this is true or not. We should say, well, if you're not sure it's true, I don't want to know. That's a little part that we can play. Oh, you just spoiled my day. I thought I had a juicy piece of gossip, but I didn't wait to find out if it was true or not. Okay, all right. Um, Proverbs 15 says, Wrath stirs up strife. Yeah, that's right. So... <clears throat> If we get angry, that's what causes discord. And so we've got to learn not to get angry. And uh, <coughs> But it says that, but if we're slow to anger, if we, oh, come on, let's, let's put the brakes on this here. Let's sort of simmer down. Let's maybe go away and pray about this and not be forced into making a decision or conclusion straight away. But if we're slow to anger... It appeases strife or discord or disharmony. So let's not get angry. Okay, Philippians 3. There's a lot more Proverbs. If you want to have a good read, sit down and go through. I was telling one of my dear friends there, who keeps on talking about this, uh, the, the, the Silver Tops meeting and so on, and um, uh, was saying that I, I looked up, there's something says about hoary heads. It sounds like horrible, doesn't it? But actually it just means people with grey hair. And uh, some people, the old people have got grey hair and others let their run too late for it to go grey. But anyway, praise the Lord. But let's have a look in Philippians. Um, Philippians, where is that? Philippians chapter 3. Oh, we love Philippians. Philippians 4 is one of the favourites for many of us. But in chapter 3... Uh, Paul recites all of the of his uh, religious qualifications and pedigree, and he said, "I just found that they are just completely useless. In fact, they're a hindrance to me. So I got rid of all of those." But in verse thirteen, he says, "Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I don't fully understand everything. I'm still growing." But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under the things that are before, I press for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's certain things that have happened in our past, we've got to let them go. 
If somebody has hurt us, we, we can't go feeling angry towards them forever. And we've got to let it go. We've got to move on. And that's what Paul said he was doing here. And he was talking about his life before he came to the Lord and it was just as well that he, he could forget it. It's really amazing that he was able to conduct such a, a fruitful ministry and he'd actually murdered Christians and yet he became the greatest uh, expander of the Christian faith in that first century. He, he must have really grasped hold of the grace of God and said, well, I know that I did terrible things wrong but that was then. I got baptised. I buried my old life. I'm moving on from there. And, and so we need to do that. But also along the way there have things that happen to us. We have to move on from there. We not say, well, I'm never going to trust you again. Well, God might be saying that to us. Anyway, praise the Lord. Chapter 4, and we read there in verse uh, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. So, as we're happy and rejoicing in the Lord and we're thinking on things which are down in verse 8, uh, things that are true, things that are honest, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are of good report and of any virtue and any praise, think on these things. Train their minds to turn off to negative things and turn on to the wonderful truths of the gospel. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be in you. Follow my example, he's saying. Now, I want to finish off in 1 Corinthians 13 because the key to all of this is love. And uh, so here we read, and uh, again, that, that clock, that clock's fast, I'm sure. Anyway, but I'll finish off here. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I've got a wonderful little translation that uh, I found and Sister Helen got it fixed up for me. And so I want to quote from it. First Corinthians 13, and I'll just read it out. And Paul says, If I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have love, I'm, I'm a blaring trumpet or a clanging cymbal. Um, yeah, just, just a little thought here for maybe some of the just listening in or fairly new. Um, what does he mean talking about the tongues of angels? Well, I think we know what that is. When we speak in tongues, this is, this is angel language. We're, we're joining in with the, with the, uh, the symphony orchestra in heaven itself. And so we, we, but we can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but if we haven't got love, they're just like a clanging cymbal, a not a not a um, uh, not part of the of, of the real orchestra. And so he goes on to say, "Or if I can prophesy and am versed in all mysteries and all knowledge, and have such absolute faith that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I use all I have to feed the poor and give up my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing." So what is love? He goes on to explain what it is and what it isn't. Love is forbearing and kind. Oh, that certainly helps with the unity, doesn't it? Love knows no jealousy. Yeah, keep that out of it. That's, that might wreck the, 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 the unity. Love does not brag. Oh, nobody likes a braggart. They just want to... Uh, uh, sometimes people tolerate braggarts so that they can get their turn to brag. Anyway, 
So that doesn't help unity. It's not conceited. It's not full of its own importance. She is not unmanly. Now this is interesting. According to this translation, love is a girl. She is, it does, uh, is not unmannerly. She's a very polite lady. She's not selfish. She's not irritable. She's not mindful of wrongs. She does not rejoice in injustice, but joyfully sides with the truth. She can overlook faults. She is full of trust, full of hope, and full of endurance. And hopefully there's, there's a he that can do all of these things too. Love never fails. If there are prophecies, they will come to an end. If there are tongues, they will cease. Ah, oh, there they say. Oh, yeah, tongues cease at the end of the first generation. Got it wrong. It will all cease when Jesus comes back. So there we go. Um, if there is knowledge, you will come to an end. For our knowledge is partial, and so is our prophesying. But when that which is perfect is come, all that is impartial will be, come to an end. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. Now that I have become a man, I put an end to foolish, childish ways. For at present we see things as in a mirror, obscurely, but then we shall see face to face. So the Lord's coming back. We don't know everything yet. This is, you know, I've survived 60 years in the ministry and being able to ward off difficult questions because of this verse. Because if I don't know, I don't pretend to know. And so, as he says here in the, in the uh, authorised, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I'm also known. And um, I just hope that I'm not supposed to have known everything because I don't. And uh, anyone who claims to know it all, well, I think they're just a know-all. Anyway, so uh, but anyway, the Lord knows everything. For at present we see in a mirror obscurely, but then we see face to face. I present I gain but partial knowledge, but then I shall know fully, even as I've fully known. And so there remains faith, hope and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 